Well, there's a lot of ground to cover tonight. I'm going to be talking for the next few weeks about the Holy Spirit. And um, we're going to look at some things that are very careful, that I think are very important, especially in the time that we're living in. I just simply entitled the message, Maintaining a Full Life. And because it's such a long passage, I'm not going to ask you to stand with me tonight. But where I want to begin this evening is we have just finished the book of Revelation. And Norma, I didn't see you there. We're especially glad to have you back too, you know. So give Norma a hand. I'm sorry. I looked right over your head. Actually, I was, I was just thrown by, you know, Becky's saying she was nauseous, so I need to call as soon as service is over. But we've just finished our series on the book of Revelation. I've done several funerals for such precious people, including my father-in-law just lately. And I do find myself looking more forward to the return of the Lord than ever before. But I did something, Barbara. Probably sounds really silly. Probably sounds really, really silly. Matter of fact, I'm almost embarrassed to tell you. But I, um, I just decided to go online and with my insurance company and do that health, that life longevity thing. You know, I'm 63, I'll be 64 this summer. I, I feel good, I feel like I can keep up and still go the distance. And, but I know all the things they've been telling me, so they got all my health data there. And with my dietary practices, with my exercise practices, and what they call meditation, I call prayer, okay, with all that, they told me I was gonna live to be 96 years old. Come on, Victory. I called Becky and I said, honey, we got a lot more fun we're going to be able to have. 96 years old. I just couldn't believe it. I, you know, I called my mama and she said, well, you know, your daddy and I never expected you to get anywhere close as old as you are now. And, but God's a good God. Amen. And so I just called my sister. She and I are very close. Um, I called my sister and I says, Kim. This health thing says I'm going to live to be 96. I could die tomorrow, but the thing is, it says I could be 96 years old. I said, sweetie, we're going to make it to the rapture because I believe we're getting closer and closer to the coming of the Lord. And so the focus of what I want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit is on the return of the Lord and how we live a full life. So join me in prayer, if you would, real quick. Lord, we're looking at two stories tonight, back to back, that are part of the same teaching, the same conversation that you were having with your disciples. And so I ask you in the next few moments that you would speak to us, God, that you would grant us what is seriously lacking in our world today, and that's discernment. And I pray that we will just be filled fresh and again the Holy Spirit of God tonight. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, Matthew chapter 24, if you want to follow along on the screen with me this evening, beginning with verse 42. So you too, Jesus says, must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Then he says, understand this. Understand this. Now, I want you to see the contrast. You don't know, but understand this. We just said, you don't know, but understand this. There are some things you can know tonight, okay? So whenever you look in the Bible, especially with teaching from uh, that time, you've got to look. There's always contrast. You see them really easily in the book of Proverbs. But you don't know this, but you can know this. That's what he's saying right there. You don't know what day your Lord is coming, but understand this. You can know. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Now, that word broken into means literally digging through the wall. Um, Pastor Rick, you and Norma were just at the Alamo, so you saw an adobe fort there. And I've been in those adobe houses, both overseas and some places out west, like in Colorado, for instance. You'll see a lot of those out there. They're rattlesnake pits is what they are. But he says, your house can be broken into or literally dug into. So you must also be ready all the time. Say all the time. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come 
when at least when he's least expected in other words there's going to be an accounting that's what he's getting ready to say here verse 45 a faithful and sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them now notice that a faithful sensible servant the homeowner that's that's who we're talking about here the King James Version, I said, thinks as the good man, but it's the manager, it's the keeper. The faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. In other words, you and I, what we have is a stewardship entrusted to us to God. What we have, what we own, we say we own, we really don't own, it all belongs to the Lord. Every time I bury somebody, they leave everything behind them. They came into this world with nothing. They take nothing out of this world with them. So we have to recognize it all belongs to God. Uh, it's In some places, it's called leadership under lordship. And I think that's a good way of expressing it. It's leadership under lordship. So the question tonight is, as you get ready, as Jesus is telling this, there's a question that comes to mind. And that is, are you willing to accept the position of a servant? Are you willing to be a steward? Are you willing to understand that everything you have belongs to God? Because if you can't come to terms with that, then this story and the one immediately following, they're not going to make any sense to you. Unless you understand leadership under lordship. And obviously the Roman centurion understood that. That's the reason that this Roman, which Jesus said about none of his people, the Jews, but he said about Gentiles, you have great faith. And so I believe tonight there are people here with great faith. You can understand this, the principle of stewardship. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant or that homeowner in charge of all he owns. In other words, there's a reward for those who accept leadership responsibility. There's a reward for those that are good stewards of their, of their home is what we're looking at here tonight. But contrast it with an unfaithful steward or unfaithful servant. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? Read that with me. My master won't be back for a while. Say that again. My master won't be back for a while. How many of you remember when you were little, your dad or your mom told you, I'll be home at 4.30 and these chores better be done? And you wait till 4 o'clock and try to get them all done. You, you, does anybody know what I'm talking Am I the only one guilty of that here? No. No, been there, done that, Dick says. So the point is, that's the key to failure. My master delayeth his return. That's the key to living a poor Christian life. So my master will be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. In other words, he doesn't attend to his lordship. He doesn't attend to his servanthood. He doesn't attend to his stewardship. And he's living like some Christians are living today with a boneheaded view of the return of Christ. People say to me once in a while who, and it, it's amazing people who listen to our messages just this last week, I was having coffee with somebody in and, and the community, and they said, you like to scare me. They don't even go to our church. They've never been to our church. They said, you like to scare me to death while I was driving the other day. I said, how did I scare you? You were in your car. He goes, I was listening to your sermon, and you roared like a lion. Were you here for that? He said, I literally flinched in the car and swerved. And I said, you don't want to listen to a Pentecostal preacher preach in your car, you know. That might give you a heart attack. But if you didn't hear that message, you need to listen to that message. But the point is, I believe Jesus is coming soon. And it's motivating to how I live my life and make my decisions, manage my family, spend my money, spend my time, what I call mine. It just affects everything because... The master is coming soon. It's not 4 o'clock, I believe, on the prophetic time calendar. It's 4.15 on the pro prophetic time calendar. It's almost time. This man begins to violate relationships, though. He begins to beat his servants. And you may think, well, I don't beat anybody up. 
But you know, we violate relationships with how we talk about people. We violate relationships by always being critical. Have you ever been around those people who can't find anything good to say and all they can find is, is criticisms and negativity that they say? Bitter people make other bitter people. You know, he begins to drink. And you say, well, I don't drink, Pastor, but sometimes we become self-indulgent. That's what it is. I, I meet a lot of Christians who feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, but they never want to get out and minister and serve. And you say, does that happen? To what? Oh, yeah, because I start going through. I look for who's serving and who's not serving. Well, I don't have time. But they've got time for everything else. And, and I'm not being negative. I'm not being mean. But I'm your pastor, and I want you to be ready for the return of the Lord. Does that make sense? I want you to be ready for the return of Christ. And so when I see people not in ministry, I need to engage them or have someone else to engage them. This, this is an awesome statement. This next verse is awesome. And I don't mean awesome like in the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool. Awesome means you fall down in terror. To be filled with all is mean you are overcome. Our, our world has lost the meaning of awesome. The master will return unannounced and unexpected. Read that with me. The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut that servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those are those branches that refuse to be fruitful, and they're cut off and they're tossed into the fire. When God prunes us, it's to make us more fruitful, more productive. When God prunes us, it's to strengthen us. But if a person just continues to live violating relationship and in a self-indulgent lifestyle, they may say Jesus is Lord with their mouth, but they don't live like he is Lord, there's going to be an accounting. This is why I say this is an awesome story and why it's so important we begin here with our study of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew chapter 25, the story continues. It's the same, same teaching, just broken up by the, the monk who made these chapter divisions. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough. Say that with me. Didn't take enough. One more time. Didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Say, take along extra. They were wise enough to do what? Take along extra oil. Well, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. And at midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. Read that with me. Our lamps are going out. This is those that have been chosen. These were bridesmaids. Uh, we're getting ready for a big family wedding. And, and I went, just got through going the, over the wedding order and the ceremony with Rachel and Chris and the bridesmaids. These are people chosen to celebrate and be there. It's symbolic of our walk with Christ. Their lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough oil for all of us. Go to shop and buy some for yourselves. Does that sound selfish? Jesus is not, he's our savior. We know Jesus. He doesn't teach us to be selfish here, does he? He's teaching us a principle here. And in the Bible, oil is always a symbol of who? The Holy Spirit. Oil is always a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So while they were going to buy oil, the bridegroom came, and then those who were ready went in with him. In other words, those who had the, 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 the oil. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. And later when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. There's some things that over the last few years in our culture has really begun to alarm me, 
I preached a series here. I don't know if you remember the series I did on a Sunday morning called Culture, and we put the big lit up signs about culture. Then we did another sign, another series on life, and Bob, you made us the nice life uh, display that we had back here. I did a series on verb, talking about wisdom for living. But our culture is becoming coarser and coarser in the culture that we're living in. It's becoming more violent. What some in our culture are calling sophistication, the Bible calls sin. What some in our culture call America's finally maturing like Europe, the Bible calls sin. And Europe has had its problems and Americans tend to glorify and romanticize Europe because of our history, but trust me, I've worked there. They have worse problems than we have in many areas and our press doesn't always tell us about those things. And if we're not careful, we become dulled by it. We become taken in by it. I have found sometimes in my own life where the Holy Spirit would convict me and say, don't allow the razor of your ministry to become dull. Don't allow the knife's edge to become dull. We're asked not only to tolerate, now we're asked to accommodate. And now we're asked to affiliate with things that as followers of Jesus, we just can't do. It happens to our children. It happens to our college students. I know because I have these conversations with them. How do we know the Bible is true, Pastor? Well, they told me in school that the Bible wasn't meant to be taken literally. And this is taught by a professor that's not even a Christian. Or they told me that the Bible is a collection of myths. And then they compare this myth with that myth. And Pastor, how do we know? And, and Pastor, aren't people who are homosexual born that way? Pastor, and I listen to our kids and I wonder, where is the family altar? Where's the family devotions? And I asked them, did you have family altar? Did you have family devotions? Did you have these kind of conversations with your mothers and dads? And the kids who had family altars are not the ones coming to me with those questions. It's because we become dulled in our sensitivities because we're being continually bombarded by the messages of this world. The thief is trying to dig through. The thief is trying to breakthrough. The thief is trying to break into and to steal and rob us of an inheritance that God has blessed us with. When Christ returns, he will inspect how we have stewarded. When Christ returns, he will inspect how we have managed, how we have taken care of our marriages how we have taken care of the boundary lines that have fallen for us in pleasant places, as David said. He will inspect how we have taken care of our children, how we've taken care of our community that we live in. There will be an inspection and there will be a, a visitation that you and I will give an accounting for. It's why Jesus says, be ready all the time for the coming of the Lord. Be ready. Jesus could come tonight. And oh, how I hope he does. But even though I know that I'm saved and I know that my sins are forgiven, there's still that accounting that's going to come. And I know I can only plead the mercy and the blood of Jesus. I'm not here because of any good thing I've done, but because of what you've done. But there will be a reward or a lack of reward based upon my stewardship of what God has given me. A passionate follower of Christ doesn't want to make heaven by the skin of their teeth. A passionate follower of Christ wants to come and give something to the one who loved us best. We want to lay at his feet a treasure and say, Lord, this is the life you have given to me. And this is what I've done by the power of your Holy Spirit with the life that you've given to me and give it to Christ. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Matthew 24 and verse 45, he says, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. When I look at this verse of scripture, four things jump out at me. Number one, God says, be faithful. Be faithful in the things of God. Be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful in your thought life. 
When I married Becky, I made a pledge to her to be faithful to her, not only with my body, but with my mind as well. I made a covenant, covenant and a commitment to her. And these almost 43 years later, I'm so glad, not in a boastful way, but to stand before you without any shadow of shame upon my face or in my life or her life with me to say there's been any dishonoring or breaking of that covenant. There's a faithfulness to be faithful in the house of God. That when I wasn't pastoring, I was in God's house on Wednesday night. I was in God's house on Sunday morning and Sunday night in our churches. Our children were in and I was a part of a small group and I was volunteering ministry. I don't do this because I'm paid to do this. I had a calling and a ministry before I came here. I will always have one. You will always have one. I am what I am by the grace of God. God rewards faithfulness. He will reward you for your faithfulness. He will more than abundantly reward you for that. But he says be sensible as well. And faithfulness doesn't mean being weird. It's weird in a lot of people's eyes that we're faithful to God and to his house. It's weird that we give up our every Sunday morning and we give up our Wednesday nights to be in church. It's weird that we only, we commit and we raise our children. Be faithful with your bodies. Save yourself for your husband. Save yourself for your wife. It's weird that we teach that and we just don't get into the flow of the things of this world. But how many of you know God rewards faithfulness and the reward of a sensible life is a peaceful life? If you doubt that, read the book of Proverbs again. There's a reason I brought all those verses in. Then he says, manage. Manage my home. It's not my house. It's his home. We dedicated. Some of you in here, I've had the privilege of dedicating your houses to the Lord. And we've gone through. We dedicated your kitchen. We dedicated your family room. We dedicated your bathrooms. Yeah, we do that too. We dedicated your, because we want you to stay clean, right? We dedicated your bedrooms. We dedicated your basements. We dedicated those little houses. We're so blessed in America. We've got these little houses we build for our cars. They're called garages. And so we understand they all belong to God. And then God says, feed my household. That's not just to me as a pastor, but you. Be sure that you disciple your wife and your children. Be sure that you feed your family well. Be sure you feed those, not just your immediate family, but your extended family. We'll get into that in just a moment. You see, my house, my house is where I live, who I live with, what my vocation is, and my personal influence. Now see, when I say house in America, you think of an address. But the Greek word oikos, and I'm, this is not a profound statement, if you understand the Greek word oikos, but it's not a stretching the statement either. It's just the common sense, sensible way to interpret oikos. It's these four areas I just read to you. It's where you live. It is your domicile. It, it could be, a, it could be a, an apartment. It could be a, a, like I rented one time when I was single, just a room. It could be your camper. It could be wherever you call your home, wherever you live, your dwelling. But it's who I live with. Again, it's that extended family. It's my aunts and my uncles. It was my grandparents while they were living it's my nieces and nephews. It's my cousins. My niece, my nephew called me this week and he says, Uncle Dennis, he called me and asked me to pray with him about something. I have several of them that text me every single day and during the day I get these little messages from them. I'm so proud to have that relationship with all of my nieces and my nephews. If I don't exercise as much as I'm supposed to. They'll text me and say, you haven't ran today or you haven't worked out today. What's up, Uncle D? And, and I love that. It's that extended family. I, I remember I pulled into Trentwood Market one day. I was praying when I was driving to Trentwood and all of a sudden my Uncle Ralph came to mind and I thought about my Uncle Ralph and, and just began to pray in the spirit for him and I pulled into Trentwood and I just dialed his number up. And I didn't tell him I was praying for him. I didn't tell him that God told me. I didn't, it wasn't that God, I just, he's part of my family. I respected him. I love, he's in heaven now, but I just loved him. 
he was a godly pastor. And we talked for a while, and like every time he says, well, come go fishing with me, son. I said, Uncle Ralph, you know I don't like fish. He said, that's why I invite you to come. He was just that kind of guy. It's the vocation that I have. It's your calling, but it's also the influence that you have in life. You may say, as some people have said to me, I don't have a family. Yes, you do. You have a woodland family. We've got single adults here. You're part of my family. You're part of my, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus says, who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who is my mother? Whoever does the will of God. Amen. That's my brothers and sisters. My influence is those people that I do life with. And you may think, well, I don't know that many people. I'll guarantee you during the course of a week, you probably bump into anywhere from 50 to 100 people during the week. If you come to church, you bump into hundreds of people. But even the people who try to live reclusively, they bump into people that you have influence with. We're talking about maintaining a full life tonight. But see, Jesus says there are spiritual forces that will try and hinder you from being filled with the Holy Spirit. There are spiritual forces that will try and keep you from being full of the Holy Spirit so that you lose your influence, so that you lose your stewardship. Look at verse 46 from Matthew 24. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. I want that. Somebody should have said amen right there. Somebody asked me one time, says, or said to me one time, I sure would want to be president of the United States. I said, I would. I would love to be the president of the United States of America. There are some people I would just love to give a hard time to. <laughs> and there are some people that I would just love to help. You go, Pastor, you're just saying, no, I would love to be president. You see, when I read this verse, he says, I will put him in charge of all he owns. You know, what is it that God has that he wants to put you in charge of that is that is simply based upon are you being faithful with what you have and how do you remain faithful? And I know some of you are thinking, well, Pastor, I haven't been very faithful. I, I, I get angry sometimes. How many of you ever get really angry? Can I see your hand? Somebody blowed the horn at yesterday, yesterday at me before I even thought. I blowed the horn back at them. I mean, I just looked at them like, I didn't say it because Amy was in the car, but I thought it jerk face. And then I thought, Jesus, help me remember I'm the pastor of Woodland Church. I am not in Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> I said to Amy, I said, Amy, I'm sorry. Amy said, they deserved it, Daddy. <laughs> you see, we, we, we look at our failures, we look at things we do wrong, but there's a really comforting verse to me in the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 5. Look at this with me. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths that God would reveal later. Moses? Moses didn't fulfill his life's purpose. Moses got scared. Moses got angry. Moses killed a man. Moses never made it to the promised land where he was trying to lead the people of God. But when it's all said and done, God said he was faithful. Look at me tonight. Don't you dare miss this. You will never achieve your full maximum life potential. But you can be found faithful. Somebody ought to give the Lord a hand of praise right there. Sometimes I read these stats, we only use like 10% of our minds, and I read these stats about we're capable of much more. Friends, we may never reach our full life's potential because we live in a fallen and broken world, but through our God, we can do valiantly. Through our God, we can tread down the enemy. And there's got to be a key to how that happens. You see, there's always the possibility, always the possibility of something significant happening in your life and through your life. 
and I will be so honored to say, I'm your pastor because of what God is doing through you. Yesterday, my sister, the night before, my sister Kim was at a, a meeting with Karen Pence in Washington, D.C. Yesterday, she was at a luncheon with Melania Trump. And Kim was sending me videos and pictures. And a man they befriended in Jacksonville, Florida, when he was just a beat cop. When he was just a young beat cop, rookie cop, and he worked his way up through the ranks. He ended up just deciding he was going to run for the United States Congress. And he was elected to the United States Congress. And because Kim and Gary had been such good friends with them, they invited them up. And, and uh, Kim went with his wife to these meetings the other day. And, and Gary's had an opportunity to go to some other meetings. You see, there's significant influence in his life tonight because there was somebody that came alongside of him when he was a beat cop, eating donuts and walking the street. Somebody saw a potential in him. I'm telling you, there's potential in this pews tonight. And you never underestimate what God wants to do through you. So how does it come about? It only comes about by the power of the Holy Spirit. You gotta stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Stay full of the Holy Spirit. As we said earlier, and you guessed and you knew, if you'll put that up there, stay full of the Holy Spirit for me, please. The, the oil is always a type of Holy Spirit. And the principle here is not that Jesus was teaching them to be selfish. The, G, the principle here, and, and, and I need you to look at me and just get this for just a moment. The principle is this. Nobody can make up for your deficiency or your proficiency. Say those two words with me. Deficiency or proficiency. Nobody can make up for that. You and I are each one. If there is a deficit in my life, I'm responsible for that. You're not responsible for any deficit in my life. If there is a proficiency in my life, it's because I've had the good sense to go to him who can fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the reason Paul said that we should be filled, and I've taught you before how that, that word means stay full of. Why? Because we've got holes in our buckets and we leak, right? We leak, say, full of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say go to your pastor so he can fill you. I can't fill you with the power of God. I can't fill you with the Holy Spirit. The assemblies of God can't fill you with the Holy Spirit. Woodland Church can't fill you with the Holy Spirit. Nobody can lay, you, lay hands on you and fill you with the Holy Spirit. You have to go to Jesus, whom the Father has given the Spirit to, that he might pour it out upon all of us. We have to go to him who has the Holy Spirit and pours it out abundantly in our life. That's what he's saying right here. He's getting them ready. I can give you truth, which is what I'm giving you tonight. But it's what happens after I give you the truth. Have you ever tried to help somebody and say, now, I want you to apply this. I want you to take this home. Maybe you take the growth work from the message and say, now apply this and say, we'll get together in a week or two or maybe in a month and I want you to show me how you've been applying this to your life. And then when you get back with them, you go, all right, let's see how you applied it to your life. And they go, oh, I haven't had time. All right, let's see how you apply this to your life. Oh, I had to go out on my boat. You see, I can give you truth. Your small group leader can give you truth. You can give your children truth. You can give your nieces and your nephews truth. You can give truth to your neighbor, but it's up to each one of us to do something with the truth that we have been given. And that's why the scripture is so clear that what happens after the truth is delivered is between us and Christ. It's between us and God. That's the reason there will be an accounting. That's the reason he's giving this. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. They all had the same resources available to them. The five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. 
We can't give somebody else the Holy Spirit. We can give you truth, but you have to go to the source. We don't have enough for all of us, so go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. Who is the source? The source is Jesus Christ. Dennis, this is really good preaching tonight. I don't know that they're getting all of it, but this is good preaching tonight. You see, the source is Jesus. And you can have as much as you want. He will fill you to overflowing. That's the whole principle there. There's, they bought enough. The reason sometimes people's lamps are going out is because they're living on, yes, I use up yesterday's experiences yesterday. If you don't believe it, walk with me for a while. I use mine up in a hurry. I got to have a fresh supply. I got to have fresh bread out of the oven. Last night, I um, wanted a strawberry shortcake, and I hate those little cheap little cakes you buy. So I bought some canned biscuits only because I don't know how to make biscuits. The lady asked me, she says, what are you buying biscuits and strawberries for? I said, that's my shortcake right there. So we baked them biscuits and covered them biscuits. Which, oh, my goodness. Make you slap your granny. They were so good. <laughs> Just delicious. I ate till I was about to pop. And I got up this morning and there were two biscuits left. And there were some strawberries left. So I grabbed one of them biscuits as hard as a rock. I just throw them in the trash can. You see, you can't live on yesterday's bread. And yesterday, you've got to have, you've got to keep going back to the source. You see, and this is an important principle here. Ten of these bridesmaids went together, or as the King James says, the ten virgins, they went together. Don't miss this. My resource is Jesus. I am helped and encouraged by my brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a sense that I am interdependent and you are interdependent. I am grateful for my prayer partners. I am grateful for the people that I do life with. I am grateful for those in my small group. I am grateful for those that I do ministry with. But beloved, hear me tonight. We are interdependent upon one another for encouragement, for help. We're interdependent upon one another for good counsel. We're interdependent upon one another for gifts of mercy. And I could keep going through that list. But the source of what we need to be able to serve one another is Jesus Christ. We need the oil of the Holy Spirit. Because as long as I am being filled with the oil of the Holy Spirit, we can work together. I'm not going to bite your neck. <laughs> but if I become, if I don't, look at, don't miss this. Because I felt like this was just the Lord showing me something. If I don't stay full of the Holy Spirit, then I become like a vampire feeding off of you. And I begin to drain you, and you walk away going, why is it that I don't feel as much joy? What, and that's what makes people bitter. That's what makes people angry. That's what makes people disappointed and unfulfilled because there are these spiritual, emotional vampires that are trying to dig through because they won't go to the source and so they try to take from you. And as the body of Christ, we are called to reach lost people. Now, I'm not called to prune the dead wood. Jesus will prune the dead wood. Didn't we just read that? Jesus will do the sort, the angels actually, the Bible says the angel, I'm glad I'm not called. I'm not a good pruner. But Jesus will do the pruning. My responsibility and your responsibility is to stay full of the Holy Spirit. Here's an interesting, another word, oikos. It's just interesting to me. I mean, this, I could preach without using this, but I just think it's kind of important to throw out. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the, the house, the oikos. Obviously, it filled the people too, but I want my house full of the presence of the Lord. Amen? Amen. I want this church full of the, I want people to walk in and go, oh, 
what is different? Of, I want the presence, the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit here. Well, number four, you've got to have a home defense plan. You've got to have a home defense plan. I'm watching the news the other night, and there's this man who's doing all kinds of supersonic gyrations to go kill a cockroach and to keep termites from coming into the house for one of the pest control. And I thought, there's my point right there. You've got to have a home defense plan. The homeowner didn't pay attention. And the reason he didn't pay attention is he had lost his sensitivity that there are thieves out there. He'd lost his sensitivity. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. The burglar is Satan in the story. The thief is not Jesus. Remember that movie, A Thief in the Night? This is not talking about Jesus. This is talking about Satan. And what is he trying to do? Dig in, break in, tunnel under, tunnel through, break away, whatever he can do. He's trying to catch you off guard. It's the reason that Jesus calls the devil, he's a thief. He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So how do we do that? Number one, we got to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Christ. He is the Spirit of God. He is the Spirit of truth. He is the Spirit of mercy. He is the Spirit of grace. He is the Spirit of supplication. He is the one that the Bible refers to that we can have the communion of the Holy Spirit. I want that, don't you tonight? Stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Stay sensitive to biblical truth. This is the key. Stay sensitive. If you don't know what your Bible says and you can't teach your children, and the time to know what your Bible says is not when your kid comes home from college and asks you a question and you go, oh, oh, let me see if I can find a book or let me see if I can find a sermon or let me call the pastor. You've got to be a person of the Word, a man or a woman of the Word. Highlighting, journaling, as you write it down, it comes back to you. Beware of the cultural dullness. Part of the reason I'm preaching this message on these Wednesday nights is because I know that you will join me in prayer. I know those who join me on Saturday night will join me in prayer. But there is a serious lack of discernment in the United States today. Look at me. There is a serious lack of discernment. Here are three areas that I see a serious lack of discernment in our nation right now. Number one, there's a desire to replace the Judeo-Christian ethic upon which this nation was built with a philosophy that constantly changes its values from generation to generation. And that is, everything is acceptable except for the Judeo-Christian ethic. We want to change marriage. We want to change genders. I don't care. If they dig you up, I don't care how many stupid operations you've had, your DNA is still going to say male or female. Okay? It's still going to say that. 500 years from now, when they dig you up, if Jesus tarries, it's still going to say male or female. And there is this deliberate attempt to subvert that. There is a desire to honor on the part of some politicians, those who are anti-Semitic, those who are anti-Christian, those who are anti-church, there is an allowing of them to swear and to use language, including our own president, that shouldn't be used in public because there is a loss of our Judeo-Christian ethic. And the things that are being said about Jewish people today by some from within right here within the metro area and they're being said it's freedom of speech, and yet that same party shuts down the pro-life people among them who want to speak out against it and will not give them a platform. So do not tell me that it is freedom of speech. You are promoting something that is antithetical to the Judeo-Christian ethic that this nation was built upon. Now that's about as political as you're going to hear me get from this pulpit ever. The second thing that's happening is there's a political earthquake that could change the constitution and governance of this nation. There is a deliberate attempt to do away with our constitution by saying it is a living document rather than a document once delivered and to be and that we're to be governed by. And once that happens, 
Laws can be changed at the whim and notion. And the only way they get by with it is by constantly pointing out to the failures of people in the past. Of course there have been failures, but dear ones, there have been successes after successes after successes, and the reason you and I are here and the reason they're in the offices they hold tonight is because somebody came before them with Judeo-Christian ethic, and like Moses, they missed it a lot of times, but God found them faithful. That's some more good preaching that people aren't getting a hold of. That's how politicians have got to be talked to. And the third thing that I see happening in our nation is this desire to create an economic shift to socialism. Capitalism is not perfect. Far from it. But for those of us that have worked in socialistic nations, for those of us that have worked behind places where it's illegal to be a Christian and the government controls everything, you will find out capitalism is a far better cry than what social. If you want poverty, you bring on socialism. If you want poverty, you bring on the green agenda they're trying to bring on where you can't purify water and you can't use fuel to be able to produce crops. And what's happening is this Judeo-Christian ethic is being replaced with an emotional ethic. Now, understand this. I'm not knocking Congress. I'm not knocking the president. But our realm is in the spiritual. And Mark, if you'll come on up because I know I've got to finish. Our realm is in the spiritual. We will never conquer these battles by electing the right kinds of congressmen and the right kinds of presidents and the right kinds of mayors. We'll only accomplish these battles on our knees. Now, the byproduct of that may be that congressmen, like my sister's friend, may be elected. And so some of you may be elected and go into office. Some of you may end up in Congress. I believe that. Some of you may end up there. But it won't happen because we believe that's the key. The key is us praying. And I'm not talking about a bunch of crazy, charismatic Pentecostals shouting and hollering and praising God and somehow know that's going to make... No. We put feet to our faith. Okay? We put feet to our faith. You'll never overcome hell with the flesh. You see, our enemy is not Washington. It's not Moscow. It's not that little guy that's just been kicked out of the... What's his name? Julian Assange. That's not our enemy. That's not the place of conspiracy. The place of conspiracy is not D.C. or Hollywood or Moscow. The place of conspiracy is the pits of hell where Satan has his authority. And that's why we have to fight these battles. Pastor Rick just told you how important prayer is. I'm going to give you one other insight in my life as a pastor. You'd be amazed at the people that I meet that prayer is not important to them until they need prayer. Prayer is not important to them until they need prayer. Until their child needs prayer. Until their marriage needs prayer. And whatever it takes, my prayer right now is God bring a revival to America again. This nation I don't believe it's seen its best days. But there is a surge of hell that's come against our nation that politics and education is not going to solve. We need the Holy Spirit. My last statement may be a little humorous, but I mean it with all my heart. I don't mean it to be humorous. A spirit-filled Christian is hell's worst nightmare. A spirit-filled Christian is hell's worst nightmare. Jesus said, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the paraclete, that's what that word is, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Would you stand and come join me tonight around the front? I want to have a closing word of prayer with you this evening. You see, that word paraclete, and everybody just come and stand in. Mark, do you know that course, fill my cup, Lord? I lift it up, Lord. But the paraclete, that word means more than just comfort. That word means more than just console. When, when you come along somebody and you're going, you know, I'm with you, I'm standing, 
you know, you're comforting, you're consoling. But I can't heal them. I can't fill them. I can't heal them. I can comfort with the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But the comforter means that word is he will heal what has been hurt and has been damaged. He will heal. He will restore. And that's what we need, I believe, in our nation one more time. But it begins with the church. And so I want you to, if you don't mind, would you just take your hands and make a cup out of them like this? And I'm going to read one verse of scripture and then I want us to sing, Fill My Cup, Lord. It's an old song. Some of you may not know it. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill my cup. It's an old song, but tonight it's the song we need to sing. Here's why we're going to sing it. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, and the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us. Gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out. Say that with me. Pour out upon us. I want my cup full to overflowing tonight. Lord, I pray over every family in this congregation, not just those that are here tonight, but I pray, Lord, for a spirit of grace and supplication that we will seek Lord, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That we'll obey Paul's instruction and guidance to us. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't live a self-indulgent life. Don't be drunk with wine that leads to excess. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, I know I, I can't give the Holy Spirit to anybody here. But I can give them your truth tonight. And I pray that each of us here will stay sensitive to you. I pray that each of us here, Lord, will commit ourselves to daily study of the word and writing down some truth, some principle, O oh Lord, some promise, some command, some prophecy, Lord, from the word. I ask you tonight, Lord, in your precious and your holy name, Jesus, we will be good stewards of the homes. God, not only of our house, not only of my wife and our children, but Lord, of those that you've given me in my extended family of relatives in my church family, Lord. But God, my calling, their calling, and Lord, the influence that you give us wherever we go. I pray, God, would you make those of us who are full of the Holy Spirit, make us like magnets. God, draw people to us. Let them see us and recognize us. May they come to us, Lord, who don't even know us and say, can you tell me what's different about you? And Lord, give us the courage and the grace to jump all over that opportunity and to tell them about Jesus Christ. For it's in your holy name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God bless you.